Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 125. You've got Chris and Brian. And today we're going to talk about uh, Chris handing me a pistol at 75 feet, 75 yards. yards I'm sorry. Yeah. And then me going two for two um, on a 12 by 12 diamond steel plate. Yeah. Uh, that pistol happens to be a Gen 5 Glock 45. Um, I. I'm hesitant to admit it, but I think the Gen 5 is now a better pistol than the Gen 3. And so the, <laughs> this this podcast, on a broader sense, is about there. If you are if you are running guns and gear from the 70s, maybe some good options out there. If you're carrying a Smith Model 19 or 686 357 Magnum, uh, two and a half to four inch as a carry gun, even a six inch gun if you can conceal it, phenomenal freaking tool. Um, 357 Magnums out of long barrels are one of the best fight-stopping bullets out there per Ed Sanow and some of the other gurus back in the day. Um, Velocity does amazing things with decent ammo. Um, Really good ammo does impressive things with less velocity. Um, Not the same, though, so bear that in mind. So when we talk about, you know, upgrading your gear... Uh, well, my grandpa took a 1911 up Iwo Jima, Mount Suribachi, and won the war. Okay, cool. Um, that 1911 probably rattled when you shook it, and was probably about an 8-inch gun, you know, at 75 feet, if, if at all. Uh, and that's why it worked, and that's why it ran, and it's not your G-Gaw super machine to the 10,000th blah, 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 BS coming out right now that may or may not be reliable. Um... And not say it's not a good gun, but there might be as good or different options, better options, etc. Getting a more modern spin on that, um, if you've only ever carried a wheel gun, you're comfortable with it, great, carry on, no big deal. Um, if you shoot Weaver and it works for you, great, carry on, whatever. Um, but if you're somebody who's involved in this and you are taking the time and energy to upgrade, to go take classes, to learn new techniques, tactics, and procedures, um, and keep up with what's current, um, then you should be doing similar or same with your equipment. And we're going to run through a few different things as just examples of what's changed. Um, and starting off with the Glock's the easy one because the Glock's the one everybody makes fun of. Yeah. Oh, they show, you know, the memes on the interwebs, on, on the gram. Uh, here's your Glock 1 or Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen 4, Gen 5. And they show a picture of the same gun five times. And, you know, and we have guys come in all the time and say, well, what's the difference between my Gen 3 and your Gen 5? Uh, the reality check is there's about 45 differences, technically speaking. There's about 20 that change from the Gen 3 to the Gen 4, and then another 25 changes from the Gen 4 to the Gen 5. Um, you know, So while the guns may look similar externally, um, Glock really has gone a long way in making the gun both more durable and more reliable, and making it more reliable is pretty impressive. And this is not to say that the other manufacturers aren't doing the same thing. We'll talk about some other brands like Smith & Wesson as well here in a second, uh, lest you think it's you know just another Weeby Glocks and shit podcast. Um, the, the, the Gen 5 gun is a better mousetrap. Uh, they went back to the New York-style trigger return spring, not at the 11-pound weight like NYPD, which is one of the reasons they blame for not hitting anything, which is BS. They don't train enough. Um, but went to the New York-style trigger return spring because it is more durable. It lasts longer. It's more reliable. It's a coil spring system uh, that is not as prone to failure as the double opposite hooked coil spring previously, which broke at the hooks. 
Um, and if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. What I'm telling you is that the Gen 5 is a better gun in that regard. Uh, they went to a little more accurate barrel. Um, their testing says 18%. I, you know, I'm guessing that's something mathematically that they came up through statistics yeah. and numbers and, and trial and error and data. Probably and, ran some rests. And yeah, stuff like that. Um, and, and an 18% increase in accuracy of the gun is, is nothing to sniff at. That's, that's a really big deal. I would contend that it's lost on most people um, from a shooting perspective ability perspective it's lost on yeah. most people at 75 yards a better trigger and a better barrel by 20 percent i think especially running i won't say that was crap ammo because that was probably smb 115 grain so it's crap ammo that's yeah. definitely not match ammo that's that's burning through a training ammo um and this was you know kind of a walk back situation so this was at the end of the day but we had it wasn't a shooting day it was a tactics day yeah so it wasn't like we were all shit hot and super polished at the end of the day. It was a, hey, this is pretty much fresh. Let's go do a walk yeah, back. That so was we actually can... the first time I touched the trigger that day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so there's a reality check around, you know, some of these new guns and these new systems are, are very, very capable. And, and there are also some things going around in the near term when we talk about the last three to five years where there are certain guns that have hit the market that were literally turds. When SIG dropped the P365, it was an absolute freaking train wreck. Um, the P365s have been manufactured probably in the last 18 to 24 months are solid little guns. Um, the P365 XL wasn't really ever plagued with that because it kind of came afterward. Um, your Smith M&P, we talked about yeah. some of their guns that have gotten a lot better. Uh, the original M&Ps here that CPD had, uh, talking to a few guys with their ordnance section, um, the original 40 caliber guns, they went about four years. They had a lot of problems with, with delamination issues, with bonding issues between the chassis and the frame and the actual plastic frame of the gun. Um, and, and it wasn't necessarily limited to 40 caliber, but that's where it showed up fastest. And they got all their guns switched out to a Gen 1.5, which was upgraded quietly. Smith didn't really talk about that, just like Sig didn't talk about the four different variants of the P365. And the 320. And the couple variants of the P320, absolutely. Um, that are now supposedly drop safe, we hope. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, a little dig there. Um, going beyond that with the M&P specifically, the 2.0 is a way better mousetrap. And then dropping that gun down to 40 caliber is a lot easier, or down to 9mm from the 40 caliber is a lot easier yeah. on the gun. And CPD, I think, is seeing that. Uh, a lot of our buddies who got on the M&P train because they like the grip angle better, um, or they just something about the Glock didn't work for them, or they didn't want to make it work for them, whatever the case may be, um, the, the original M&P 1.0 guns, we'll call them, had rough triggers, had almost non-existent trigger reset, and had some other quirks. Um, along the along the lines of like uh, slide catches or slide release springs not really being yeah. stout enough to work reliably. They're inconsistent. Slam a mag in the gun, it went home most of the time. Um, but you know you need a you need a 99.9 percent .9 option, not an 82 percent option on that. Um, the new gun has an upgraded mag or slide catch. Uh, the new gun has a way better trigger with a tactile reset. And I know that the fast guys don't shoot from reset. Um, this isn't all about the fast guys in the USPSA race gun top fuel guys. This is also about police officers and civilians who are new to this and maybe don't have a bunch of training. And teaching somebody to shoot from trigger reset is not necessarily a bad thing when they're newer. Um, you know, if they get that good, they'll get past it. No big deal. Um, but anyway, better mousetrap is the moral of the story here. Uh, the Smith Shield. Um, so this is kind of gets into, this bifurcates a little bit because the Shield wasn't really a train wreck because it came out around the same time the one and a half, the 1.5 series 
M&Ps came out, so it didn't have the horrible trigger like the original M&Ps did. It had a tactile reset, but the 2.0 guns are a little cleaner, a little better texture. Um, and then the new pluses are a step beyond that, um, yeah. because now we're not talking necessarily strictly about quality, reliability, durability. We're talking also about features. Um, the new Shield Plus guns have a little bit different trigger system in it that I think is more like a flat-faced feeling kind of trigger. And it, it, instead of having the bottom hinge, it's got more of a Glock-type yeah. safety thing in it. Well, that patent's you know long been passed, right? So so now they can go ahead. And in, in, in imitation, this is a sincere form of flattery kind of conversation. Um, it does go back to having a, a Glock-style trigger shoe. Um, without saying it's a Glock style trigger pull, because that could be, you know, that could definitely be a negative in some cases. Um, and then never mind. So you've got some of those durability, uh, reliability upgrades to the gun, but then you also just have the fact that the manufacturers have taken notice over the last five years, especially, and recognized that the concealed carry market is legit. And so now they're cramming 13 rounds into a gun that was previously seven, eight, nine. And that's across the board. That's not just the Smith Shield Plus. Yeah. That's also, you know, the P365 is a great example of that. The XL is another step in that direction with more ammo capacity. One of the important things, though, with the Shield Plus is yeah. that it fits your existing Shield holsters. Which is a huge deal. And the grip circumference really hasn't changed. I don't know yeah. numerically, but from a, putting them side by side, when you pick up both guns, they feel like the same gun. Um, you know, and so if you like your Shield, why not have your Shield with 13 rounds instead of 8 rounds? So, again, we're back to, yes, we want to sell you stuff. That's our business. That's our livelihood. Um, you know, but the reality check, too, is if there's a better mousetrap that's come down the pike, that's a big deal. To the extent for me that I made the choice um, earlier this year after shooting, after buying a couple of Gen 5 guns and upgrading some old Gen 3 guns, um, I, I'm, I'm now going full bore on the Gen 5s. I've got one left that I want to get rid of, and, and I will be back to, like, five 9mm Glocks but all Gen 5s. Um, there's something else that does for me too. It doesn't just allow me, you know, I'm sorry, having new Glocks is not a flex, okay? Having a Palata OSB or regular plywood right now is a huge flex. Having a Palata 9mm <laughs> ball ammo is a huge flex um, at the moment. You know, the thing is, is having five Glock Gen 5s is not. That's, that's pretty pedestrian. That's like yeah. having a toolbox full of good tools is all it is. Um, and, in, and if you're a mechanic, then that could be a hundred thousand um, dollars. Go buy plywood; it's a great investment. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, you start looking at that. It, the point of that being, I've got parts commonality. I've got backups to backups, and I'm running. I'm, I'm like pushes two Glock 45s and three Glock 19s. I can swap out almost all the parts, and then the mags. The only thing that doesn't get me from an interchangeability standpoint is the short mags for the 19s don't work in the big gun. But other than that, we're good to go. Yeah. Um, you know, so that mentality around, you know, upgrading those systems, I think, goes across the board. Um, and and I'm, I'm a little more reluctant to push this into rifles. So before I do that, is there anything you want to add on handguns? Um, uh, you know, kind of pushing through that idea of there's better mousetraps out there. You need to be looking at them across every system yeah. almost. Yeah. When we start talking, you know, if you're running... I hate to say this because the, the Glock 43 is such a great, called non-permissive yep. environments gun. Yep. Shorts and a t-shirt gun. Um, it's become obsolete with the advent of the 365, the 365 XL, yep. um, the Shield Plus now, the Glock 48 <clears throat> slash 43X. I think it's a different gun than the 43X48 from a concealability standpoint. 
And then now that there are 15 round yeah. mags available, it's a vastly different gun. I think I still think the 43 holds a space versus a five shot snubby, but when there's a P365 out there, or yeah. dare I say, uh, 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 Hellcat. <clears throat> I don't oh, like yeah. saying that out yeah. loud because I, I don't know. About that one. I don't know. Well, and I don't know how tested the Hellcat is. I don't see guys beating on the Hellcat. Um, the uh, you know State Patrol doesn't have you know 800 of those in service um, yeah. that guys got to qualify with that are getting rounds through them. Um, so I don't know of anybody beating on the Hellcat like the P365s getting beaten on. Um, but but that size gun, it's it's the same yeah. size or smaller than a 43, holds more rounds and does the exact same thing. In that regard, I will say yes. I think that those small guns in low capacity, you should be looking to upgrade. Yeah. Um, you know, you're yeah. getting, especially when you go from you know, seven rounds in a 43 to 10, 12, 13, 14. Yeah. You know, it it's effectively doubling your capacity. Yep. Well, and ironically, you a lot more fight. Yeah, and ironically, that's what I've told people for years about the 43 versus a snubby. I left the snubby because it was a 40% increase in ammo and no loss in size. Same height, same length, and less width. It was technically a slightly smaller gun. I've been saying that for a long time, and now I got to say it again because now there's a better mousetrap. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Um, the other thing along those lines, uh, if you're, you know, you're going, Getting up in age, I'm trying to think how to say this gracefully. Or just say it. Uh, if you're getting old and your hand strength is going down, um, Smith & Wesson makes a fantastic series of guns called the EZ. Yep. Both in 380 or a 9mm. Yeah. Uh, if you're you know, wondering, like, how do, I run, how do I run the pistol when I can't grip it or I can't rack the slide? Yeah. Um, that is the gun for you. Um, we, ha we try to keep them in stock as best we can. Um, but seriously, like that is the gun for you. Absolutely. Um, there's no reason not yep. to have one. If you got arthritic point. issues or you got bummed up hands or whatever, um, or you want the gun that your spouse can run with you, um, and maybe there are issues, you know, from a perspective there of just flat out grip strength, um, it, combined with age, when you get those two things together, you know, arthritic issues or orthopedic, legit orthopedic issues, um, you know, and then loss of strength that goes along with age and things of that nature. I'm definitely going to say that the EZ is a brilliant little gun. Um, in the 380 version, it has all the recoil of a swing line stapler. Um, it, so it's really fun to shoot. I know a couple guys for them, that's kind of a guilty pleasure. Uh, plus it's an eight, nine round gun too. So, I mean, it's yeah. not an insignificant amount of capacity versus a little Ruger LCP or Smith Bodyguard 380, which have their own place as pocket guns, um, because they are truly tiny little guns. Going up to the EZ, if it gets you something you can handle better or your spouse can handle better or you can teach a new shooter to shoot with because they're more comfortable with it, I, I, there's definitely a hole in the market that that gun filled that we didn't really understand, uh, you know, five years ago when it came out. Uh, but, boy, now I get it. I get it big time. So, uh, and, and it's very popular for a reason. So, yeah. So, talking about handguns in that fashion, I, I think there's a similar conversation to be had around rifles, too. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're running a, a Colt AR that you bought during the ban, um, and, and not that the ban affects quality. I mean, it, we all know that the assault and ban from 94 to 04 was more about aesthetics and more about making me feel warm and fuzzy than it was about actually protecting anybody from assault weapons, which, by the way, aren't actually used in crime, statistically speaking. So if you're a politician, get your head out of your ass and pay attention. Nobody uses full-size assault weapons to do bad work. It, it hardly ever. Yep. So let's you know, let's actually deal with other issues. Anyway, uh, sidebar. Um, so if you're running an older rifle, there's probably some better mouse traps out there too. Not that yours isn't serviceable. Again, kind of that old revolver conversation. It'll work. But are there better options? Absolutely. 
Um, and then some of that spills over into gear as well along the gun, you know, from that perspective. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on, on you guys that are my age, that are 50 years old, you know, maybe a little bit older, who served in the military. And I hear this probably as much from the, from, more from Marines than anyone else. I'll take my irons. I qualified on the KD range out to 500 with my irons. That's cute, and that's awesome, and, and it's a skill for sure. Um, and, and, and cute's not fair. That's the wrong way to say that. That's awesome. It's a skill for sure, but the reality check is when the vast majority of gunfights happen at, at, at intermediate ranges to close ranges for civilians um, and happen in a low-light environment, your iron sights are nearly useless in the dark, and there's a reality check for the reason why the military, so many different military, you know, unit. Well, I mean, almost all the military at this point, and then most police agencies that issue rifles, issue an optic on them, and more and more put a good flashlight on them, etc. Um, you know, understanding if you're running an, an old 20-inch, uh, what it would be like an SP1 or something like that. You know, yeah. save it for Camp Perry. Yeah, that's totally cool. <laughs> get something well, modern for defense. Yeah, purposes. get something modern, and it, and if it's a legit Colt, don't take it apart and change it up because it's probably worth 11 billion dollars now that it's Colt Z. Um, you know, but understand that there's probably a better way to set the gun up—a 14 and a half inch or 16 inch midi gun, um, different gas system, better trigger, a collapsible stock with with good features. QD slings that are easy to take on and off the gun and adjust and set up properly. Um, optics that are five-year battery life optics. If you're running an optic that eats a battery every month or two, um, step out of the 90s. It's, you know, step out of the early 2000s. It's, it, there's five-year options that aren't ridiculously expensive. I mean, like sub $300, probably sub $200. Um, you know, avail yourself of some of the newer technology in that regard and, and upgrade the stuff. Um and also understanding right now, too, it's easy to talk about upgrading guns and whatnot only because so many new guns have come out, both rifles and pistols, but there's also a reality check around everybody's buying guns right now. So if you've got the guns, now's a great time to upgrade stuff because the stuff prices haven't gone full potato like the gun prices have. And if you're not going full potato spending crazy money on ammo to train with, then maybe divert some of that ammo and training budget, which you still should be training and shooting. Um, divert your training to dry fire, divert those dollars to equipment upgrades, and, and maybe take advantage of this lull in that market because that's a little softer. That stuff's available yeah. right now. So, um, and, and we, I'm going to push this beyond rifles if there's something you want to add with rifles too because I'm going to talk about some other options around accessories that have gotten um, Yeah, the other thing with, you know, with rifles um, – this is more from a, how to think about, you know, irons versus optics. Yep. Uh, it's called hit factor scoring. Um, mm -hmm. It's what's used as a metric for USPSA. Yep. It's basically how much work can we do um, based on time or divided by time. Yeah. Uh, putting an optic on your rifle will significantly increase your hit factor. Yeah. Um, it just, it allows you to do more work faster. Does, does hit factor take into account like minor, minor and major... Can it? I mean, isn't it that can. in like USPSA uh, it does? For pistols, uh, but it basically, we're, if we look at a USPSA target, yeah. um, an A zone is worth five points, a C zone is worth three points, a D zone is worth one point. Missing the target is worth zero points. Yeah. Um, being able to, you know, get two alphas very quickly, yeah. or even, you know, an alpha and a Charlie very quickly is better than getting two alphas really slowly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because we need to do. 
There's you a need, weight there. You need to solve problems and then go on to the next problem. Sure. And I would say that, you know, so the, 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 for a layman, to put that into layman's terms, it's putting foot-pounds of energy into a target fast. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what wins fights. We know that putting foot-pounds of energy into critical parts of targets are what creates disruption within either um, neural tissue or within vascular tissue. And so pushing those things through, but quickly matters. Yeah. Right. What is it? Uh, the X-ray Alpha dude says that you know there's two things on the table: speed and accuracy. You better um, not leave either one of them. You better not leave either one of them because the bad guy's going to use it against you. Right? They're going to use what you don't have against you. So you better be on your game and be able to do both. And people that perform at a very high level with any system, I don't care what it is, can do both speed and accuracy. That's why yeah. you train, and that's why the guys. You know, he's talking about guys who you know the whole train until they can't get it wrong, until they can't possibly screw it up, do it their sleep kind of thing. Versus, yeah. oh, I got it right once, I'm good. That's probably not going to serve you well out in the world. Yeah. Um, so, uh, For more on this, check out the Practical Shooting After Dark uh, podcast episode 83. Um, this comes up in depth. Okay. Uh, I listened to it once a couple days ago. I'm about to listen to it again. Uh, but yeah, more on that. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on this topic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, check out Practical Shooting After Dark um, number 83. Yeah. And, and for those of you who poo-poo comp- competition shooting, as I once did, uh, you know, a decade ago, for those of you who poo-poo competition shooters as, well, their tactics suck, um, they're fast and they're accurate, and they're probably going to burn you to the ground while you're sitting there trying to figure out which tactic you're supposed to be applying to your toenails. Um, so be aware of that. Uh, there's some dudes that are going to smoke you. So um, I- I'm going to push the guns thing into a- a- another side topic, lights. Yeah. We talked about optics a little bit. Um, there's a lot of really good optics, better battery life, more durability, better reticles, better mounting systems, cleaner emitters. So if you've got astigmatism, you can see them better. Talking about optics. I know. And then, but I'm pushing okay. over it. But along yeah. those same lines, going over into flashlights. Um, a couple things have changed in flashlights in the last few years. They've caught on to the tactical end of the world in the last couple years. Um, LED, or LED, light emitting diodes have gotten better, um, brighter, better, more efficient, cooler, etc. Uh, our knowledge around how to heat sink them and regulate energy going to them has gotten dramatically better, and the ability to make that small to fit in a flashlight has gotten dramatically better. And then beyond that, the ability to create a power cell or, or a source of energy that is more efficient at dumping energy, um, which creates heat and requires all those things like LEDs, heat sinks, etc., um, and better regulation technology. That, that's that's the battle right now, and the battle right now, the battery is what wins the battle at the moment because the LEDs all fairly similar. It's how much can you push through it yeah. the fastest to get the light out there and still maintain a reasonable amount of runtime. So some things we've seen pop up that are really interesting, um, a, a, a all the 1,000-lumen handheld lights, all of the 1,500-lumen Surefire dual fuels, um, and then the lights that are pushing out, the Candela that's ridiculous like the... Um, the, all the REINs, the cloud defensive uh, lights, the Rains, the Owls, etc., that are using 18650 batteries um, that are doing just ridiculous amounts of output. You know, we, you've heard us preach about the Surefire is still a good light, the Dual Fuel is still a good light, it's durable. It's a systems standard for the moment, but I think that's probably going to change dramatically yeah. in the next year. Hopefully, Surefire will get off their laurels and start working a little more with rechargeable ideas and the ability to get more energy through the system faster to make better light, more light faster, um, and kind of catch back up. Because on the rifle light end of things, they're really at the tail end of the 
the boat right now. Yeah. Um, but the ability to put lots and lots of energy through an LED with a really well manufactured reflector um, and some good heat sinking is just become brilliant with some of these companies. And so if you are, we were joking around yesterday, um, my dad has a P60 flashlight, 60 lumens, incandescent bulb, um, it says like, laser devices, not even Surefire uh, on oh it. Geez. So it predates the name Surefire, um, but was laser devices was Surefire. Um, yeah. If you think back to like Cobretti and his 357 Magnum with the laser on top that was as big as a 3x9 scope, um, that was laser devices. Um, still works, still functional, but by today's standards at the time, 60, 65 lumens, all the way up to 120 lumens was like blinding. It was a stunning amount of light by any standard of the day. Yeah. And today it's a Mennonite tactical light. Um, it still works, still does what you need. If you've got to change a tire, look at an engine in the dark along the side of the road, whatever, pretty pretty good little light. But by today's standards, when you can carry around something like any of the Surefire small lights, um, whether they be the more traditional single cell, two cells with rear buttons, or if you step up to the stiletto, um, you know, and Streamlight's got some really interesting stuff out there too. They're doing a lot of dual fuel stuff where yeah. you can run CR123s or AA's. Um, the new wedge that's the really new, impressive. Yeah. yeah, the new wedge is really impressive. I will say I don't think it's necessarily the best option as a tactical light, um, but if you carry a light on you to use every day, the wedge is 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 amazingly slim, easy to carry, mm -hmm. and and could do double duty if you needed it to. I think the switching, hopefully, if you're taking notes on this streamlight, pay attention. Um, put a button on it somewhere that lets it be a better tactical light. Um, and that defaults to the off position when you let go of it. That's the, the, like I said, the wedge is brilliant and does some neat stuff. If you're one of those guys who carries a 350 lumen streamlight that does like the three phase switching, then the wedge is a great light for you to upgrade to because you're not eating batteries and you're not worrying about switch failures and stuff like that um, and, and go from there. But there's just so much stuff on the market now that if you're running a flashlight that's literally, I'm going to say five years old, because five years ago probably would have been a sub thousand lumen X three hundred, yeah, maybe six, but five yeah, or six five right in that time frame is when that yeah, yeah what is about five or six years ago, four years ago is when that changed when the, over. The first ultras came out exactly. So you know, so if you're running that five year old flashlight, um, I'm not saying throw it away. I'm saying maybe relegate it to the spare flashlight or the flashlight that you put by the, um, you know, your 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 fuse box in the basement or or to yeah. get to or the or fuse box on the bucket gun. Yeah, or something like that. Um, depending on whether it's handheld or weapon mounted, um, but definitely take a look at what's out there from that perspective as well. Um, and, and again, I also think that carries over to, to so many different items, whether it be holsters, belts, knives, there's so much, there's been a, a, maybe not a lot of innovation in like how a knife locks, but the ability to manufacture stuff inexpensively out of good quality materials coming from places like Kershaw, uh, coming from places like Spyderco, you know, they're, they're, they're not doing necessarily a whole lot of different locking systems, but everybody seems to have upped their game in materials and the ability to manufacture stuff cleanly and reliably. So, you know, take a look around. Um, belts, if you're running an old Bianchi leather belt, that's totally cool if it works. Um, there's some new options around the lines of being more flexible around different things. Holster systems, um, I don't have an issue with leather. Leather does really good retention things once it's broken in, if it's made properly and it's a good leather holster. But the problem is a good leather holster starts around 80 or 100 bucks, um, and you can buy a good Kydex holster starting around 50, 60 bucks, depending yeah. on what you're looking at. So, um, so when we talk about upgrading your stuff, 
I think there's a conversation to be had on lots and lots of different topics, and it's one we'd love to have with you. If you found some new widget, some better mousetrap, we'd love to hear from you. Um, understand that we're always going to look at it with a little bit of side eye until it's a proven brand name or a proven device. Um, you know, we're seeing some lights come out that people think are the best thing ever because of pure light output, but the durability is not there, the waterproofness isn't there, etc. Or the ability to put out light more than 15 seconds isn't there. Exactly. Yeah, that's a thing too. So, you know, there's, but the, you know, like I said, this, this topic for us, what's new, um, honestly, uh, unfortunately for us, um, and, and fortunately for us at the same time, unfortunately for us, it's hard for us to keep up with what the newest, coolest widget is. Um, for a number of reasons, A, because we're not seeing them because we buy from distributors instead of direct from the manufacturers. We're not test pilots. I'm nowhere near as cool as uh, Yeti or somebody like that who gets stuff to play yeah. with on a regular basis. On uh, test drives, you know, it's a test pilot for some of these places. Um, but there's the, So we don't get to touch this stuff maybe, and I'm not made of money, so I can't go out and buy one of everything and go beat on it. And the way our business works as a small business, I don't just rip one off the shelves and go beat on it either. So there's a reality check around that. So the advantage for us with having our customer base that we do who are pretty squared away and pretty serious about this stuff is the likelihood of someone within the tribe or within the customer base or both is buying something new and going, hey, how come you aren't selling these? I want to hear about those things from you guys because I get educated by my customers on an almost daily basis. Um, and I know that we should be the expert, but it's hard to be at the cutting inch of every single topic. And a lot of you guys out there are. A lot of you guys out there are cutting edge on certain topics. And, you know, bringing that information to us is super valuable. And we love having these conversations because we learn stuff. So, absolutely. Anything, I mean, I feel like we're, spend money, spend money, spend money <laughs> with us. Come spend money. No, um, that's what it sounds like, I know. But there is a reality check. All these things do cost money. But, uh, it, like I said, we've listed a number of topics where, if you're thinking about crap, I can't get the gun that I want that's five hundred or a thousand dollars. There's probably something within your kit that maybe is more critical than the bullet throwing device. Yeah. Honestly, um, you know, if you've got a good gun but don't have a light on it, having a second good gun's not a bad thing. But having a light on it or an optic on it or a sling on it, you know, or a good holster or a good pistol with a light or an optic yeah. on it, might be a better expenditure of your money if you can't get ammo right now to go train with. Always buy ammo and training first. Always, always, always. But then that'll teach you what tools and toys you want to get to put on it and come see us and we'll get you squared away. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. I don't, yeah. I, I think I've, I feel like I've beaten that horse. Because I'm not even going to get into, I'm not even going to get into clothing. Um, you know, gear and ra range clothing and range gear and stuff like that's a whole other topic someday. But we don't sell it. So, I mean, if I can't do a podcast, I mean, people want to come buy it. Why waste time with that shit? But, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we get new things in, um, especially on the guns and ammo side of stuff, um, it gets posted to our social media accounts. Um, right now we're at Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, they suck. We don't like them either, but they are the best platforms we have available. Yep. Uh, so that's where we're at. Uh, we're pragmatists like that. Yeah. Um, search for us at Cap City Outfitters. You may need to tweak your notifications and things. Um, it seems their algorithms don't like us lately. Uh, so be aware of that. If we seem to have dropped off, um, we're still there. They're just trying to hide us from you. Yeah. Uh, on our website, you can sign up for our email newsletter that comes out on Fridays. Uh, or drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com and we'll add you to the newsletter list. Um, same thing. It seems like the Googles and the Yahoos and the Hotmails and whoever else of the world are also uh, trying to divert us to your spam folder. Uh, you might want to look to... Uh, 
to whitelist or allow list or whatever phrase you want to use there. Uh, info at capsityauthors.com so that you get our email newsletter and it shows up in your inbox. Um, yeah, also on our website, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at soundshop.com. And then lastly, um, please come and see us at the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We are directly in front of Aldi's. Um, we're right next to Louis Fusion Grill. Uh, we are Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.